Yo, 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 yo. Yes. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Sports Talk with Chris. I am your host, Christian Pill, and here we're going to talk sports. Let's get right to No, actually, before we get to it, I just want to introduce myself. I am Christian Peel, Chris Peel, KP, Chris, whatever you want to call me. I'm a huge sports fan. I've been a huge sports fan since I can remember. I'm, a, I'm 30 years old. The first memory I have is probably about 95, 96, watching the Eagles stop the Dallas Cowboys twice in 95 in that game at the vet. Or pretty much 96 when we went to Texas Stadium and won 31 and 21. My first memory of the Super Bowl is probably 96 Super Bowl when Brett Favre beat Drew Bledsoe and the New England Patriots. I still remember vividly sitting in my uncle's house watching that game. And I was about uh, seven years old at the time. So ever since then, I've just followed sports ever since. Um, on top of being a sports fan, I'm, I'm a huge Philadelphia fan. Four for four. I mean, I'm talking Eagles, Flyers, Phillies, Sixers, like all, all of that jazz, you know? Especially the Eagles, though. The Eagles is my life. I live, breathe, and die with Eagles football. Like, if they lose a game, my, my entire week is just ruined. So, but, um, so since I'm talking Eagles, let's get right to the Eagles talk. Um, we're going to talk about the upcoming game versus the Vikings. As everybody probably knows by now, it's their first time going back to U.S. Bank Stadium, which is the Vikings' home stadium, of course, since Super Bowl 52 in February of 2018. When they left out with the Lombardi Trophy, when they became 2017 Super Bowl champions, which, <laughs> honestly, I never thought I would see a Super Bowl. I'm not saying I ever lost faith, but... I had so many disappointments in the early 2000s that I just thought it was over. Like the biggest, the most hurtful loss in my Eagles fandom, if you'll say, was losing in 2002 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to close down Veterans Stadium. I mean, everything had lined up for us. We were, like, we were the number one seed for the first time. We had got home for the advantage. We had beaten the Bucks like twice in the we beat the bucks in 2000 in the playoffs we destroyed them in 2001 in the playoffs and i think we beat them in the regular season like once or twice like the previous years and the buccaneers had never ever won a game in weather like that and as you know here in philadelphia it gets freezing cold in january it was cold we started off brian mitchell had a good return deuce daily got a touchdown on like the first possession we were up seven to nothing and after that it just all went bad and we ended up losing 27 to 10. We were we down 20 to 10. We couldn't do anything offensively. After that touchdown, I mean, you think we had 10 points in that game. We scored seven on the first possession. So after that, we didn't score anything else after that. Um, so we scored three points the rest of the game. Just sucked. Yeah, I'm getting a little beside myself just thinking about it. And we were down 20 to 10 in the fourth quarter. We were finally driving, finally moving the ball. McNabb throws the interception to Ronde Barber. He returns it. That was like the worst moment in my in my sports life. So I don't even want to think about that. But now that we won the Super Bowl. I, I can I can move past it. I can watch them highlights and I can be okay. But again, let's talk about this game. So we're playing the Minnesota Vikings, who are in the same boat that we are, both three and two. Uh, we have a tough stretch coming up. We have at Minnesota, then we're at Dallas, then we're at Buffalo. But then but it starts with this game. Now Minnesota once again. 
They have a top 10 defense. I think they've had a top 10 defense every single year since Mike Zimmer has been the, the coach there. As you, as everyone knows, he's a defensive guy. He's the head coach. He calls all defensive plays. But once again, he was, they had a top five defense. They might have been number one in the league when we played them in the NFC Championship game and we destroyed them for 38 points. One was a defensive touchdown. I get that. So still 31 points. I'll take that. And. Yeah, but we have to play him again. And Dalvin Cook is in the second. He well, no, he's in his third season. He's second in the league in rushing, behind just Christian McCaffrey. But this is the first year he's been completely healthy. Which, knock on wood, first year he had he was starting to have a good year. He only played about three games. I think he got hurt in week four, week five. He ended up missing the rest of the season. And then last year, he was working back from the injury. So he was never really fully healthy. So he never really could reach his full potential. But this year, he's come out like, wow. Like, he looks faster than ever. I mean, I don't think he was this fast in college for real. Even Florida State, he looks better than he's ever looked. But that's the only thing that makes me nervous. But we all, they have a number four rushing offense, I think. They average over 166 yards rushing. But we're number one in the league in rush defense. So, you know, it's a strength versus strength thing there. So one thing I'm not worried is the running game. I'm more worried about Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen and those boys. Cause as every Eagles fan knows, we struggle against the pass like a lot. So and we don't really have much help on the way. I think Sidney Jones is supposed to play this week, but even with him, I me mean, who 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 knows what kind of results we'll get. And then playing in the road, last time we played in the road against Green Bay, as you know, the defense got shredded. They didn't give up a ton of points. They held, them to, they held Green Bay to field goals a few times, and they, they stopped them in the red zone twice late in the game, which was really, really good, but they still give up a ton of yards, like a lot, a lot of yards. And you can't really depend on stopping people in the red zone. You can't let a team inside the five multiple times and expect to come away with no points at all. And that's what they did against Green Bay. And, I mean, everyone is worried about the Eagles struggling offensively versus the Jets. I'm not really worried as much because every week is differently. Like, one week really has nothing to do with the other. The Jets have a good defense. Yes, I know the Vikings have a good defense as well. But I've seen teams struggling against a team, and then the next week they go crazy against another team. I mean, I've seen the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lose to the Giants at home, blow a lead, then I've seen them go and drop 50 points against the Rams in L.A. And I've, I've also seen the New Orleans Saints with Teddy Bridgewater not score a touchdown against the Dallas Cowboys, only score 12 points. So you think, wow, Teddy Bridgewater is going to struggle. They're not even going to score a touchdown against anybody. Then they go around and Teddy Bridgewater throws five touchdowns last week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So it really just... Talk about the matchups, and you, you really just never know. So you just have to – it goes week by week. So we're going to see what happens with that. But the Eagles, is come, they're coming off a really good defensive game. I know I know they were playing the Jets. They are playing Luke Falk. I mean, I don't think two weeks ago anybody even knew who Luke Falk was. But he came in on a Monday night game against the Cleveland Browns because as Sam Darnold, he was out with Mono. And then Trevor Simeon, the former Denver Broncos quarterback, had to come in. He ended up getting hurt. He was out for the game. I think he's out for the rest of the season. I think he has a really serious injury. And this guy, Luke Falk, had to come in, who's a, a rookie. Um, and 
Ever since then, the Jets' offense hasn't done anything. Le'Veon Bell definitely did not sign up for this. I mean, they 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 can stack the box with eight people because they have no one to throw the ball. They have nobody. They have no kind of passing threat at all. So it's pretty much run, 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 check down to Le'Veon Bell, and it's run, run, throw to Le'Veon Bell. He's pretty much their whole offense. But hey, he got what he wanted. He got his contract, so I'm sure he's happy with it. But um, yeah. But the defense had ten sacks. They had two touchdowns, two touchdowns. Like the one was on the Nathan Gary interception on the fourth and one, which the Jets tried to get cute with uh, play action and throwing it to the flat. Nathan Gary, like, it was a really good play if you watched the play because he was in the mic position and he pretty much came all the way across the field. A good catch and just ran it about 52, 53 yards. Then there was the the one late in the game where Orlando Skandrick came on the blitz. He had to make a couple moves. It wasn't a free ride. He he had to be patient a little bit, too. And he got there and just pretty much snatched the ball from Luke Falk and just ran it the rest of the way. And then late in the game, the, the defense was just teeing off on that guy. It was, I mean, I, I'm a huge Eagles fan. Even I was feeling sorry for that quarterback. I was like, wow, this is this is bad. But, I mean, it was at a point where I think they had like at one point they had two sacks in a row and they were just – the defensive line was just taking turns. I mean, Josh Sweat and Brandon Graham had three sacks, and everybody just had a turn like with the sacks. It was it was good to watch. So hopefully that's a confidence booster. It's harder on the road to get a to get sacks like that, but hopefully they can do it. Because Kirk Cousins, if you can ride on him, you can you can get some. I mean, Kirk Cousins played in our division for numerous years, so we know how. I don't want to really want to say overrated Kirk Cousins is because can he really be overrated if everybody thinks he's not really that good? But he's not that good. So so if you can if we can get to him, we can definitely rattle him a little bit. And we can stop the running game and get to Kirk Cousins. I don't want to say it's going to be an easy win, but we can definitely win this game. The Minnesota Vikings have a good defense, but I definitely think we can exploit that defense. If the gods just catch the ball, like if there's so many catches, I watch every single throw from the Jets game. Carson Wentz, I'm not gonna lie, he made a couple of throws that was a little questionable. It was one play when I think late in the game, on the third down near the red zone, where he threw to Jordan Howard, almost got him killed. Like he like air melted, and if Jordan Howard accorded, he probably would have got like destroyed. It was one throw to Darren Sproles early in the game when Darren Sproles lined up as a wide receiver. He ran a little hitch route. He threw it. He threw it high. If he would have threw it like more to Darren Sproles left, he would have caught it and still got a, a couple more yards. So I'm not going to say Carson Wentz is perfect at any means. He definitely misses some throws sometimes. He, he overthrew Aguilar. I think t- twice he overthrew Aguilar, huh? But definitely the one that was in the second quarter where he just missed him. Probably should have been an illegal contact, but you can't challenge illegal contact. You can only challenge passing interference. And when they challenged it, the ball wasn't in the area. So they were challenging, quote, unquote, passing interference. But if they could have challenged, quote, unquote, illegal contact, we probably would have got to overturn. Which I'm going to just say now, I'm really not a fan of them challenging passing interference. It like passing interference is just a judgment call. Just like leave it alone, please. Just it's either passing interference or it's not. I I don't want like there's been too many games where I've watched this year where a coach thinks it's a passing interference and they throw the challenge flag out. And 
I don't want to stop the game for a pass interference. Like, it's just, I'd rather stop the game if you think it's a catch or if you think it's a fumble or if you crossed the plane or if you got off from the end zone, like stuff like that. Or if he, if the guy established himself before he touched the ball negating the illegal touching. I don't want to waste time, waste two, three minutes of game time because we're looking at a pass interference. I mean, we've gone all these years without ever challenging a pass interference. But now because of one bad call in the NFC Championship game, we're going to change the whole entire rules. I'm hoping this is just a one-year trial run thing, and next year they go back to – they scrap the whole idea because, to me, it, it makes no sense. But, again, uh, Carson Wentz, he missed a few throws, but he hasn't been getting a lot of help this year, and there's no big plays in this offense at all. I mean, the biggest play last week was – the the Miles Sanders like run he when he ran the real walk the wheel route and that play he was going against a defensive end. I honestly he he should beat him and that was a perfect throw. So but that was our biggest play of the whole game. I mean we don't have any big plays downfield to any wide receivers. Even I went back and I watched some highlights from last year as well too. Like the end of the year last year when Carson went like right before he got hurt. And even last year we had Nelson Aguilar Alshon Jeffrey, we had we signed Jordan Matthews, then we traded for Golden Tate. And we still had Ertz and we still had Goddard. Now our running game wasn't what it is now. So with our running game being what it is now, if we can get Deshaun Jackson back and if these guys start catching, because I can't depend on Mac Hollins. I can't depend on JJ Ortega Whiteside. After what I've seen in that Lions game, I cannot trust these guys at all. Like Mac Hollins, I think, made one catch on a third down. And even that was tough. I, I didn't even realize he, he caught us, but he did. So, But that was a tough one as well. But we just don't have any big plays. Like, Nelson Aguilar hasn't – I don't think he's made any big plays this year. Since the Falcons game, I, I guess. And even he had a drop in that game that was that could have been a touchdown. But after that, he made, he made for it on, like, that fourth and 18 play. But ever since then, I don't think I've seen Nelson Aguilar make any big plays. And we know Alshon Jeffrey is more of a, a possession receiver. He's going to catch it. He's going to get you them big catches, like near the first down marker. He's not going to run down the field and and just run past somebody and grab a 50, 60-yard touchdown. And that's why we need Deshaun Jackson back. And that's the problem with our best receiver being a tight end. When your best receiver is a tight end, you're not really getting great yardage on that. Zach Ertz is probably a top three, probably top two tight end in the league, probably behind Kelsey. Uh, I put George Kittle in there and probably Zach Ertz. But when your best receiver is your tight end, you're not, your tight end is not running down the field for 50 yard routes, or he's not, he's not outrunning anybody. Like he, if he catches the ball and Zach Ertz already doesn't break many tackles. He's a great route runner. He has great hands. He can get open. He has a neck for getting open all the time, especially on third down. He, he has a neck for the first down marker, but he's not grabbing the ball, catching it, breaking the tackle and outrunning somebody for 40, 50 yards. That's just not happening. So, but Deshaun Jackson, as we saw, that first game against Washington, and he gave us a little, little glimpse of what he could be, like what this offense could be like with just having him in the offense. Now we don't even have a threat downfield. It's not even the fact that he caught the ball. It's the fact that everything would be so much more wide open with him just being on the field. Like that's what is the aggravating part about it. 
he gave us one game and he's been hurt ever since. And from what I'm saying for reports, he's probably not going to play in this Minnesota game. He most likely won't even play in the Dallas game either. So the most, the earliest we can hope for now at this point is the Buffalo game. And I just, we need this guy, Deshaun Jackson back. And I was listening to, the, I think, 94 WIP. And they were talking about, oh, last year they were waiting for a speed receiver to come back as well. And I'm like, last year? Like, who are they talking about? And I had to think about it for like multiple minutes. And they were talking about Mike Wallace. And I completely forgot about Mike Wallace. Like, Mike Wallace played two games last year. He was supposed to be our speed guy. After Torrey Smith was here in 2017, he was supposed to be our speed guy. Because when you have a possession receiver like Alshon Jeffrey, you need a speed guy to compliment that receiver. You need a speed guy to stretch the field. Mike Wallace was supposed to be that player last year. He played the first game, didn't make any catches, made no kind of impact at all. Played the second game against the Bucks, had a catch for a screen pass. The play got called back for, I don't even remember what the call was. So the catch never even officially happened. Mike Wallace ended up getting hurt on that plate without for the rest of the season. So Mike Wallace played one game in like a quarter for us last year, and that was pretty much it. Now, I hope that's not the same for Deshaun Jackson. Please, Deshaun, like, like we traded for you. We got you back here. The whole city was excited to have you back. Just please come back. That's all I ask. Just, just come back, please. And, yeah. But I think we can win. I mean, the Eagles are three-point underdogs against the Minnesota Vikings, but I definitely think they can, they can take this game. There's no reason that they should. All right. Let's segue into the some Sixers talk uh, next. The Sixers played a preseason game last night. They won 144 to, I think, 82 or 86, something like that. I want to try to pronounce the name of the team they were playing, but I really don't want to be disrespectful. I know it was a, it was a team from China. But, I mean, obviously, a lot of NBA teams play those teams. They're trying to... Make the, the league is trying to make the league more global, so they play other teams, so other countries can try to watch NBA games. But I mean, th- those other teams have no chance against NBA talent, even with the the preseason guys that play. But the only thing about this game that really mattered was Ben Simmons hitting the three point shot, his first ever three point shot. Now, obviously, it's not technically his first ever three point shot because it's preseason, so it's not really going to count towards his official stats. But the crowd went nuts. I remember I was watching. I don't know what I was doing last night when it happened. My my brother texted me. My little brother, who's a, a Philadelphia fan as well, which he obviously growing up with me, he had no choice. And he texted me and said, my boy hit a three. And I'm like, your boy hit a three? Who hit a three? And so I texted text him back like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Then I checked my bleacher report notification and said, Ben Simmons hit a three-point shot. So I'm like, wait, what? I jumped around. I was rolling on the floor. I watched. I watched this highlight a million times. It was the end. It was the end of the first half. Ben Simmons is running down the clock. He's standing there. The crowd is yelling, "Shoot! Shoot it! Shoot it! Shoot it!" He pulls up and shoots the three. Nothing but net. It wasn't. It didn't rattle in. It didn't go off the backboard. It was just nothing but net. And that to me, it was like very, very inspiring. Because as we can see, Ben Simmons has been in the gym like working tirelessly, like shoot, working on a three-point shot. We've seen, uh, just from what we've seen, like on the internet, like we don't know, he might be in the gym 24-7 for all we know. Like after Kobe Bryant said he needs to develop a jump shot, he might have developed the mama mentality, honestly. But from just what we've seen, 
he was in numerous scrimmages, just making jump shots, making threes. And and the shot, has, it's not even that he's making them. The shot looks smoother. Like, all the shots that he's taking, it just looks ugly when it's coming off. Like, he has that chicken wing with, with, his, with his elbow. It just, it just looks awkward. The ball isn't really lined up perfectly. His legs aren't lined up perfectly. Every time he takes a jump shot, he's leaning to the – he's always leaning to the right side. And to see him – Last night, actually, take a shot, just standing straight up with the beautiful form. That was the most beautiful thing to me. Yeah, honestly, nothing else that happened in that game last night really mattered because it was a preseason game. No one cares about preseason at all in any sport, like NFL, NBA. Like, nobody really cares about preseason. Let's be real. So, anything anybody else ever did, he outshined the debuts of Josh Richardson or Al Horford or anybody else around the league because the internet went nuts. Not even Philadelphia fans weren't even the only ones excited. There were other fans of other teams that were on Bleacher Report and NBA, just like saying, "Like, wow, I'm really excited for this guy." Because if he can, and I, I see some people say, "Oh, congratulations on doing what any other person in the league has been doing for years, or what anybody who goes to the gym can do for years." No, but can everybody drop 17, 8, and 8 without a jump shot? Just think, with no jump shot, with teams sagging off of this guy, he still can put up 17 points a game in the NBA. Like, in the NBA. Like, like come on. Like, now with a jump shot, can you imagine? His score can go up to 20, 21, 22, and gradually just keep improving. And with him with Joel and B, and that was the problem with him and B, they couldn't coexist together because with Ben Simmons not being able to space the floor out, the lanes is just clogged up, and we can't really get that. They can't really get that camaraderie because they don't really complement each other really well. Now they compare them to like Shaq and Kobe, or a Penny and Shaq, or just a big guy, like a big guy, little guy duo. But in order to have that big guy, little guy duo, you need your point guard, the little guy, your quote unquote little guy, which he's six ten. Can't really call him a little guy, but he's the guard. You need that guy to stretch the floor a little bit so there's space in the paint. There was no space in the paint because he not only could he not shoot, he wasn't willing to shoot. Now, until he proves that he's willing to shoot in the NBA game, you can shoot against a, a team from China in the preseason, and all you have to do is make a few. I remember Joel Embiid's rookie year. Nobody believed he could shoot because he didn't get to display that in, in college when he was in Kansas, and that's a lot of things that's different about college and NBA. They don't really let you explore everything of your game so a lot of times when players are in college they're only there for that one year and you can see the raw talent that they had but you don't really get to see the full talent until they get to the nba and they don't actually become the player that they are until they get to the nba until they get to the second third fourth year and by the time they should be still juniors in college so but that's just how it is and joel and b that i vividly remember the start of the year he was shooting threes. They were just letting him take him. They were just letting him take him. Just, okay, I dare you. Sure, go ahead. We'll, we'll give you that shot. Nope, not not a problem. Take the shot, Joel Embiid. You're a 7-1 center. Like, you can't shoot. He made a couple. Then by game 10, game 11, game 12, people started, like, coming up on him as he was doing that pump fake. Now, then when he does that pump fake... But you don't know if he's about to shoot it or do the pump fake. And he's so athletic that he can go around the defender, get to the lane, do a Euro step, or even take like a hook shot or just like get there for a dunk. We've seen it numerous times. I remember last year against the Toronto Raptors in game three, 
Game three, when they went up 3-0, I mean, when they went up 2-1, to where he did the little windmill dunk when they were beating the Raptors by like 20, the crowd went nuts for that one. After he did the pump fade, I think it was against Jonas Valanciunas. No, not uh, Marcus Saul. I'm sorry. That's they traded for they traded for Marcus Saul for Jonas mid mid season, and Joel and B like pump, did the pump fake against Marcus Saul. He got him the he got him the bite on it and went straight to the lane. It was open, and that's what shooting can do. Now Ben Simmons can garner that shot and harness that shot. That'd be really good because he could definitely like do the pump fake, get people to bite on it, get to the lane with ease, and. You don't want to see a six ten guard coming to the lane with ease. Like you, you don't, you do not want to stop that. So this will definitely be good. So hopefully Ben Simmons keeps it up because I'll definitely be looking forward to that. So all right, let's uh, let's keep on the basketball topic. Let's stay on this Damian Lillard and Shaq beef, right? Well, it's not really a beef. I just watched the interview Damian Lillard did with ESPN, and he said he went on Joe Button's podcast. And he said he was promoting his new album. Dam- Damian Lillard is a really, really good rapper. I know a lot of people, they try to do the rap thing and they say, oh, he's good for an athlete. He's good for a basketball player. But Damian Lillard is actually a good rapper just as a rapper. If Damian Lillard was just a rapper and he wasn't a basketball player, he'd still be a good he'd still be a good MC. So. But he went on Joe Button's podcast and was promoting his album. And they asked him who's the best uh artist of all time or actually turned rapper of all time he said he was and he's probably not lying honestly but people are talking about Shaq now Shaq has done some big things in the past but he's not really as polished as an MC as Damian Lillard is like Shaq is I want to call him a comedy rapper but he's he's just a, a celebrity it's like okay Shaq is a big celebrity and he's rapping wow like and he definitely put it on the map for for athletes turned rappers. But as far as being an MC, take it from a true hip hop fan, Damian Lillard is a great MC. And Shaq got sensitive. It's if anybody watches <laughs> anybody watches NBA on TNT faithfully like I do on uh, Thursday nights, Shaq is sensitive. You say anything about Shaq, if Charles Barkley said anything about Shaq, oh how many rings you got? Oh I'm I'm the greatest player of all time. I'm the greatest big man of all time. Like Calm down, Mr. Sensitive. Like, we get it. And Shaq is a great player. I mean, Shaq is one of the funniest guys on TV. He's one of the most dominant players I've ever seen. I mean, one of my memories is him killing us in the 2001 finals. So, I'll, I'll never forget how dominant Shaq was. And he got sensitive. and He came out with his diss record. Said some funny things. He rapped on, I think, the Dr. Dre, What's the Difference beat. But then Damian Lillard came back and rapped on an original beat. He, like, just barred him to death. So it was it's two different styles though. So like Damian Lillard is more of like a battle rapper, and Shaq is more of a like a comedian rapper where he's you know kind of dissing them and saying, "Oh, I'm the greatest of all time," but he's not saying he's the greatest rapper of all time. He's talking about how he's a good player now, and he's talking about, "Oh, you never made out the second round, or you never made out the third round." Which, as we know, Damian Lillard never made out the second round until this past year when he lost to the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. But when it comes to a rap battle, I think Damian Lillard is way better. And I think his bars were 10 times better than what Shaq's were. Because Shaq was just throwing out basketball accolades. Shaq, no one is discrediting how good of a basketball player you were. We're talking about rap right now. We're talking about hip-hop in this instance. So that's what we're talking about. I just wanted to give my opinion on that because 
I just wanted to say that because that's kind of a big story, right? Right before the NBA season. Now, Damian Lillard said there's no beef, there's no ill will. I'm sure one of these days, like Damian Lillard will go on NBA on TNT and they'll they'll talk it out and they'll be completely fine. So nobody's even worried about that. So all right, let's move on to some uh, baseball stuff as well. So we got the the MLB playoffs are still going on. Uh, the Cardinals and the Braves, I believe, game five is tonight. And yesterday, Houston lost to Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Rays. So Houston won the first two, Tampa Bay won the next two at home. And now we have our deciding game five, Houston is home. Honestly, I thought Houston had way too much talent for Tampa Bay. And I really thought they were sweeping, but I mean, what, what do I know? So, And I really, I follow baseball a lot, but after, so I'm a huge Phillies fan. And I was following baseball a lot early in the year. And I used to follow baseball, like, really, really, like, closely. I, I could name all nine players on every single team. I could name all the pitchers. Like, and But after the Phillies kind of collapsed in, what do you call it, June, July, I kind of fell off following baseball a lot because it was just so discouraging to, to follow when the Phillies weren't doing good. So I was just kind of falling back. So I really have to dig more into it because I'm not really sure. But all I know is, Houston and Tampa Bay plays tomorrow, I believe, because they played last night for game five. But I'm going to say go Cardinals because I do not want the Braves to advance to the LCS. The worst thing about being a fan is watching a division team win anything, like the Cowboys. I do not want to see the Cowboys win anything, and I cannot wait to play them in two weeks. I don't want to look past the Minnesota game, and I hope the Eagles players aren't looking past the Minnesota game, but I cannot wait to play Dallas. I remember texting my cousin after week one, after we beat the Redskins, and my cousin, he texted me and said, "Wow, I cannot wait for Dallas now." And I said, "Like, let's <laughs> let's let's relax in that. Let's take it one week at a time, right?" So, um, yeah. So I think I think I covered everything I wanted to cover for this first episode. I mean, this is just the first one. So if you have any feedback on anything I could be doing better, let me know. I'm gonna listen back. I'm gonna see if there's anything I should be doing better. So, um, just let me know. You know, thanks for listening. If you're listening, thanks for listening. I, I appreciate all eyes on the earth. Even if I have three people listening to me, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it all. So, uh, but this is this is not the only time you're gonna be hearing from me. We're gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna definitely keep this up. So, hopefully, I will see you guys next time. I'm Chris Pill, signing off.